But tonight we're going to kick off things talking about God's will and how to apply what are two most important things, I think, when it comes to understanding God's will and then applying God's will in your life, which is wisdom and discernment. So in some ways or another, we're all navigating life, which is why we've got, this is kind of our, I don't know what do you call this thing here, but compass? this is how we, well, that is a compass. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. These have been around longer than me, believe it or not. My <laughs> oldest son has texted me on, uh, on New Year's night right after midnight. His running joke with me is how old I am. And so he said, he sent me a text message uh, New Year's night. And he says, so how does it feel to be a decade older? And he usually taglines that with old man or something. He's 16. He might not make it to 17, but that's okay. Anyway, we're all navigating life in some form or another, an individual to us in youthiness. We're discovering, deciding, encountering, losing sometimes, winning sometimes, growing, and taking turns in the journey that we never had envisioned or hoped for. Mark Twain says this. He says, the two greatest days in your life are, anybody know this quote? The day you're born? No, no, not the day you die. What? All right, well, okay. Maybe, maybe if you follow Jesus, that, that's fitting. I don't know if Twain ever followed Jesus, but the day you're born and the day you figure out why is what Twain, something along those lines. It's not an exact quote, but the odds are most likely all of us, if not most of us, are somewhere between those two days, right? Between being born, obviously, and figuring out why. Maybe you have a good understanding of why. But most of us are kind of on that journey somewhere in between. And the reality is, like the compass, we need direction. We need understanding. We need discernment and wisdom. It's terribly burdensome, even overwhelming to bombarded, be bombarded daily with the information of the world's activities and be expected to make sense of it all. For the first time in history, we walk around with the history of the world in our pocket. And it changes moment to moment, day to day. You know, hashtag World War III and all these other things that are going and flying around the Internet. Um, it's hard to grasp it all, to filter it, to make some sense of it, and it can be overwhelming at times, right? And that's why most of the time we just tend to slap a, a tag on something or a stereotype on something and go, hey, that's what that is. I'm going to box that one up and put it away, and I, and I know I've got some understanding of that. But that's a really shallow way to, to live our lives, right? Just somebody coming in? Not anymore. All right, there you go. <laughs> so it's really hard to make sense of. So here's my goal for you tonight, and the days going ahead as we go through the series, is to let God guide you so that you will be able to make sense of yourself, yourself in the ever-changing world, and especially God's will for your life. Okay? So that's the goal. There's a really neat old hymn that a portion of it says this, and it fits well with our navigation series here. It's called Jesus, Savior, um, pilot me. It says this, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous seas. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoals. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And it's almost like I can read that, that hymn as a prayer over, over myself and over each one of you. And that's really at the heart of the question here is as we begin this, this process of discovering God's will and whether we're going to follow it or not, whether we're going to apply it or not, is do I want to? You know, it begs the question, who's in control? Who's navigating this ship? Who's giving direction to your life? And that's a really important one to hold on to, and I want you to hold on to that. That's the big picture, right? 
what do you got going on right now? We have more, more earthy questions to answer than just the big questions. What's my major? Should I date this person? Should I continue dating this person? Which internship is best for me? Ultimately, that is the question, what is best for me? All of us are asking in some form or another. In, other, in another question, what does God want for and from me? Is He in control or am I in control? Or is it somewhere in between? Do I even need God to really navigate what i got going on in my life and what's out ahead of me? Can I navigate without God? The answer is yes. Yes, you can. You might not like where you end up. You might not even like the twists and turns the journey may, may take you on along the way. So yes, you can navigate life without God, without His direction. But in the process, you're going to miss four things. So I just want to, I'm setting you up tonight for the, for the series as we go. There's four things that you're going to miss if you try to navigate life without God. The first thing is this. There becomes an absence of a point of reference for moral decision making. I'm going to say that one more time. There's an absence of a point of reference for moral decision making when you say, I don't need God to navig help navigate life and what comes at me. What do I mean by that? Have you ever been in a car and you pulled up to a traffic light? And you stopped at the traffic light, and all of a sudden, either out of your peripheral, you just sense something like you feel like you're moving. And in that moment, you're not sure whether it's you moving or the car next to you moving, but you know somebody's moving, right? And they're not supposed to be because it's a red light and I'm supposed to be stopped. And what do you do instinctively? Put your foot on the brake, right? But even after you put your foot on the brake, you, you may still feel like you're moving. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Anybody ever felt like that at a traffic light? Right. So what do you do in that moment? You look around you, and you look for something that's not moving. You look for something around you that's fixed, a light pole, a sign, a building, something that you know is trustworthy to be what it is and to not shift and move. And in our lives, God provides that stability and that anchor for us. When all else seems to be moving and swirling and we can't make sense of it, God becomes the, the fixed point, the absolute that we hang on to so that we can start to, to, to bring into scope, okay, I'm not moving, it's this guy moving, or it's people walking on the street, or it's a bike going by, and you begin to make sense of everything because you have one fixed reference point. But without that, you'd still be looking around going, all right, who's moving? I don't know who's moving. I feel like I'm rolling, but I'm not really rolling. And it's a really chaotic place to be in mentally. We'll, put it to, we'll flip it over a little bit this way. This is a story I heard from Ravi Zacharias. If you've never heard him, tremendous intellect, apologist and, and whatnot. He said there was a, there was a guy that, that ran the whistle at the mill, and he was walk every day he would walk past a watchmaker shop. And he would stop in front of the watchmaker shop temporarily, and then he would move on to the mill for the day. And one day, the watchmaker, the owner of the watchmaking uh, shop came out, and he said, what are you doing? You stop here every day, and you stand, and you stare in the window of my store, and then you leave. He goes, well, that's because I'm in charge of blowing the whistle every day that changes shifts at the mill so people know when to come and go. And what I do is I look at your clock in the window, and then I set my watch by your clock, and that's what I run the whistle off over. And the guy starts laughing. And he says, what are you laughing about? He says, well, that clock doesn't run particularly well. And so what I do is every afternoon when you blow the whistle at the mill, then I go and set the clock in the window by your whistle. And so neither one was right, right? And they're just continuing down this path that, that's wrong because nothing is fixed, nothing is concrete. And so each continues to be wrong and perhaps worse, making others wrong by presenting the wrong as correct. And so we need a fixed point. 
Second thing that happens if you try to navigate without God is the meaning of life kind of loses its meaning. Why? I'm not going to get into the meaning. I'm not going to answer the question, the meaning of life tonight, but I'm going to answer how you find it. It's found by being restored to relationship with Jesus and then discovering with Him that meaning of life. Namely this, that each of us, we have meaning through an intrinsic value that we each possess by being created in the image of God. The imago Dei is what the, the Latin calls it. We have an intrinsic value, and it's by living out that intrinsic value with your Savior, the pilot of your soul, that you begin to uncover and discover the meaning of life. But without that, I can guarantee you, you will not, you will not find it. And only human beings possess it. Although if we didn't, then we would just be animals. I remember uh, when my son went on his first hunt in South Africa, uh, there you have to hunt certain animals because they contain them on reserves and because they contain them on the reserves, if you don't hunt them out periodically, they overeat the amount of food that's there for them and they start starving. Okay, they do that to keep the poachers away, but if you don't start taking out a few animals here and there. And so he did that, and somebody wrote on my Facebook wall, I probably shouldn't have promoted it, but I was proud of him. It was like one shot through the heart, and he got a blue wildebeest and all that good stuff. And, uh, and a friend of mine wrote on there and says, how dare you kill an innocent animal? And when I think of this intrinsic value, I was thinking, animals aren't really innocent or guilty, right? They're animals. And I get that because of the way God sees us. God says, hey, I've only put my image upon human beings, all human beings, but not upon the animals. And so when you say cast God off to the side, you begin to lose that intrinsic value that is set upon each one of us as being special. And I believe that with all my heart that God sees you that way. Thirdly, we forfeit the value of life as a result. Then we become, become on the same level as animals, for example, or even a higher level if, if we elevate ourselves above in some cases. It's where we get the foundations for racism and many other things like it, and we begin to elevate ourselves above another. And fourthly, the last thing you get when you say, I'm going to navigate without God, is you, you end up forfeiting, in some sense, ultimate justice. Why? Because you're denying then that there is an ultimate justice that comes, an ultimate judgment that comes when we all pass on, right? Madeline was saying earlier, hey, the Twain's quote is, best day is when you're born, best day is when you die, right? Well, the best day when you die is only good if you're going to go be with Jesus, and there is going to be ultimate justice for everyone that lived on the planet, right? We have justice in the world today, but it's uneven. It's not always carried out in the way it should be. It's not applied equally to everybody, right? And so the hope that one day the ultimate judge of the universe that knows us all through and through, that stamped us with his image, will judge everybody equally and fairly and justly is absolutely necessary. And if you don't have that, then you, that goes out the window and it becomes a bit chaotic. I'm going to hit you with two things here. By the way, I don't think, is it up? It is up there. Okay. You may see right here if you've got questions. As we go through this next part in particular, if you have questions, we're going to stop at the end and we're going to let you ask questions. You can text them in. Emily's going to be capturing them, and then we're going, to, we're going to share those questions anonymously, okay? You don't have to put your name to them or anything, and we're going to be answering them. So make sure you take advantage of that. I'll do my best to answer them. If I don't, I will just tell you I don't know if they get to that point. This next part's going to seem painfully obvious to you, especially when I say it. You're going to be like, Joe, well, that's stupid or whatever, but I think it's necessary for us to understand ourselves in God's image and therefore, all the things that flow out of it with His will and what He wants for us and who we are to be in that sense. And the first word is this, formation. What do I mean by that? Here it is. Ready? You're going to blow your mind. You already know it. 
moving from non-existence to existence, formation. You're like, okay. At one point, think about it this way, all of us were non-existent. Seems weird. We don't like to think of life that way. My kids don't know life, for example, without me or their mom. We've just always been for them. But there was a point in time where we did not exist. And then, here it is, right? We did exist. We came into being. So there was a time where we were not, and there's a time where we came into being. Psalm 139 really captures this beautifully, and I, wanna, I want you to read it along with me, and then we're gonna, I'm going to set you up to the next thing. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as the light with you, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Think about that for a moment. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Beautiful. God knew you'd be here. First thing I want you to get out of that is there's nothing accidental about you being here on the planet. You are here for such a time as this. I've heard, I've got some friends who are like, yeah, I, I feel like I was, I was meant to be born like a couple thousand years ago, you know, like a Viking or whatever, I don't know. Uh, we've, got a, we've got one of our alums that she loves to dream about being in Celtic circles and all these old time things. And, but the reality is you and I were born not in that time. We were born in this time. And you not only have a unique presence, but you have therefore a unique purpose. Our purpose and therefore God's will for us operates firstly on that we are intimately created to be here. And secondly, that the fulfillment of our time here is inextricably woven into the fabric of life with the intention of integrating our lives into His. And so coming into existence is primary, it's beautiful, it's intentional, it's purposeful, it's unique to you. Your presence in this room, your presence on this campus, your presence in this world. And you couple that with what is said in Ephesians 2.10, and you begin to take shape of why. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have things to do. Not just things, yes, certainly things that you choose to do. 
right? To go to the basketball game or, or hang out with your friends on Friday night on Franklin Street, whatever, those things, and those are all normal life things. But beyond that and above that and even through that, God's saying, I've got things that I've, I've put down that I want you to be doing in this life. I want you to be caring for the poor. I want you to be welcoming the immigrant and the stranger in your home. Care for the sick and the widow and so many other things. I've got things for you to do. This isn't just come and exist. This isn't just come into being. But once you come into being, come into life and do the things that I have ordained for you to walk in. So before we can walk fully in God's will and purpose, though, something else has to has to really occur. Before we can truly walk in it in fullness, we first had formation and now we've got transformation. Transformation follows formation. And what do I mean by that? Becoming one with God's will and purpose for your life. 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. I'm going to speak, and I mean this fully, prophetically to you just for a moment. Some of you need that to sink in deeply to you. Madeline shared earlier about she's the only Christian in her home. I know exactly what that's like. I was the only Christian in my family for a long time. What that means for me personally is I had already gone to university and graduated and was working a job and doing my and I had a dream job that I, I just absolutely loved. And my lifestyle was one that was definitely not walking in the image of God, definitely not trying to fulfill some purpose and destiny. But what I fully embrace having lived that side of my life to where I am now is I fully embrace, and I want you to fully embrace, you are a new creation in Christ. And it's critically important to walking and being one with God's will and purpose for your life. You are a new creation in Him. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was, was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, to us the message of reconciliation. And as some of you know, this is the foundational verse for Chi Alpha. It's where we get our name from. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because of Christ's forgiveness meshed with our believing, guys, we are made new. We are transformed into His image, which is to say that we are reborn in the representation of God that we were originally designed to be in in the first place. Does it happen like this? Does it happen because you say, I believe in Jesus? Absolutely not. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a becoming, right? Transforming is a becoming. Just because you say one day, I believe in Jesus and I follow Him, doesn't mean you're automatically the person that He designed you and created you to be. You are now becoming. You are reborn into that image, forgiven. But now the becoming begins. Through the transforming becoming process, we walk the path of daily submission and deferment to the lover of our soul, whose intentions, hopes, dreams, and purposes for you are far better than anything we could hope for. Amen. And therein lies the rub, doesn't it? That's the trust factor. Who's in control of this deal anyway? Am I giving it to God and let Him control certain aspects of my life? Or am I saying, no, I got it. I got it. I don't need you. All right, You may not need Him, but you might be sitting at that traffic light with everything rolling around you trying to figure out what in the world's going on in my life. 
So we choose then daily surrender to God. And this is the key. It is a choosing. Right? Religion creates a coercion, creates a forcing you to behave in certain ways. That's not what we're talking about. This is a choosing by us, not a coercing or forcing by Him. It's, a, it's also this. It's a repeated choosing. Right? We don't just say, hey, God, I, yeah, whatever you want from my life, good, one time off and we're done because we know very good and well ourselves when we look in the mirror, we're going to walk out that door and do things that are contrary to that statement. And what do we do? We reset ourselves. So we have to choose again, moment to moment, day to day, circumstance to circumstance. And here's the cool thing that happens. God not only changes what you do, but what you want to do. That's when your will begins to mesh with God's will in your life. When you move from just what God wants you to do, or what God changes you doing, you know, hey, well, I don't go to the bar anymore, and I don't, I don't do this anymore, and I don't do that anymore. But He changes the desires of your heart to things that, what do you want to do now? And those things begin to match with His life. Life comes at you fast, doesn't it? I mentioned earlier, you know, all this stuff with Iran and the bombs and all this kind of stuff and people throwing stuff around like World War III and, and, and Australia's on fire and there's a climate war going on and I don't know who we're warring against. I guess we're warring against the, each other. I don't know. And that one causes the jewel. Everybody's like, hey, believe in my cause. If you don't believe in my cause, you're a bad person. And we're like, well, I can't handle believing in everybody's cause. Exams, majors, internships, degrees, relationships, vocation, Heck, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to binge on Netflix this weekend, right? Comes at you fast. How do I filter it? How do I make sense of it? How do I prioritize what's most important in my life? How do I give that limited amount of time I actually have and commitment, that little bit of commitment that I have, how do, how do I figure out where to give that and who to give it to? Two words that I mentioned earlier, and these are the keys. Wisdom and discernment. They also have a brother and sister understanding and knowledge. Wisdom and discernment, understanding and knowledge. We need to get them. Because the reality is, in the time in which we live, we have just trillions of data bytes of, of all kinds of information. But we have very little ability to apply wisdom to it without help. Right? You guys are the most knowledgeable generation there's ever been in the world because you have access to something that most of us never had. I'm old enough that when I was growing up, and this not make no sense to you guys, we used to get the Encyclopedia Britannica at our house, but you only got them like one or two volumes at a time, so to get the whole set, you know, it took a long time, and, but you got one, and you just poured it. That was your information. That, you know, like have, making your dad, your dad making you stand over by the TV and tweak the rabbit ears to try to get the signal, but that's another story. Um, you guys have more information available you to any generation in the history of the world. What do you do with it? It's way too much information to, to make any sense out of it on your own. You're going to need help, and that's what we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, and wisdom for decision-making. How, how do you process it? James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Man, do we desperately need that today. All those things I just listed. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. That is the wisdom that God offers 
each of us as we go about trying to make sense of all this. In James chapter 1, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. God's not going to sit back and go, you idiot, why don't you understand this? Why don't you know that? Anybody ever talk to yourself that way? I do, I do. Usually I call myself by my full name. That's how I used to know I was in trouble with my mom. When I was growing up, she'd call me by like my full name. You know, if, if it went, instead of being Joe, it was Joseph. And if I was really in trouble, the middle name got inserted in there. And if I was really, really in trouble, then it was all three names put together, right? Sometimes we talk to ourselves like, man, why don't you have this together? And it becomes a stress to us, doesn't it? It's no wonder that anxiety levels in our country have risen exponentially in the last 10, 15 years. We're trying to make sense of all this without any ability to make sense of all this. And it's a tidal wave of information. It's a tidal wave of redefining life. There's been more redefined in the last five years in the world than probably the last 200. How do you filter it all? So anyway, he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. So he's going to give generously was my point there, guys. He's not going to look at you and go, you're an idiot. You just don't have it together. None of us got it together. None of us got it all figured out. If you do, then you need counseling. You need help. You just, you just do. It's kind of my, my generic response to people is say, hey, I, I kind of like you Christians, but I don't like you Christians because you're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I, my response is, oh, welcome to the planet. Everybody on the planet's a hypocrite, right? None of us have got it all wired together. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. But ask, and he will give generously wisdom that, that you need. But he goes on to say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So there has to be a trust factor, a believing factor, that goes along with that to match the generosity of God. And then Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13. I'm going to have to, we're almost there. Pause here for questions. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 23. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. That last part is exactly what we want in our lives when we're trying to figure out what's best for us. How do we navigate what lies in front of us? How do we navigate what's in front of us right now? In the middle of the relationships, family or otherwise, that we're already in. With wisdom and discernment, you can walk securely, confidently in peace regardless of the situation. Life abundantly and long-lasting is what's promised here, and they are more precious than any measure of wealth that the world has to offer. So what does this look like? As we get into the next few weeks, I'm going to give you a few things right here, different forms of God's will. This is going to set you up for the next few weeks as you think about it, as you pray about it, as you talk to one another, and then I'm going to field any questions that we've got. 
I'm going to give you five types of God's will. So what does this look like? You know, really when we're starting to get to break this down now to a little more earthy level, I'm going to give you five things, five ways that God's will gets, gets manifested or is focused. First one is this, the predestined will of God. You might be able to guess what this means. You might not. This is what God has determined to do and nothing's going to change his mind. Nothing's going to stop it from happening. What, is, what are things like that? Well, creation of the world. He determined he was going to do that. He was going to create you. He's going to create me. He determined to do that and he did that. Right? He determined to give himself away as a ransom of a payment for sins of all mankind in the form of Jesus and he was not going to change his mind about that forgiveness coming. So he did it. He also promises an ultimate judgment and justice for all at some point, we do not know the exact time and hour, and if you hear somebody starting to feed you that time and day and year, then run like the wind, because they don't know. So there's certain things that, that, that God has predestined. I will do these things, and He will. Okay. Secondly, His moral will. What falls under that category? Things like the Ten Commandments, right? These are, this is God's will in moral form for us to live within that context. You know, don't kill people. Don't murder people. Okay, gotcha. All right. I can, can I? No, you cannot. Okay. Um, this is another way that he shapes, he puts his will before us, and he wants us to shape ours to his. Thirdly, his desired will. What does God desire for each of us now in this life and beyond? What does he want? This is kind of more big picture still. What does he want for all of us? Any idea? I mentioned a few things earlier, like, hey, take care of the poor, right? Welcome the stranger, the immigrant amongst you. Be generous, be kind. There's a lot of things. Be peaceable, be reasonable. There's a lot of fruits of the Spirit that you find in the Bible that illustrate this. His desired will. And then there's His circumstantial will. What is His will in our life when we mess up and make mistakes? I mentioned earlier, we all were around the room agreeing, yeah, Christians, we don't have it all together because people don't have it all together. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. But what do you think is God's will when we mess up? Is it just to be mad at us and leave us there? My wife and I have this discussion, oh, we got a 16-year-old at home. I love him to death. You mentioned, I mentioned earlier I was ready, to, well, I didn't tell you this, but I was ready to duct tape him and put him in the closet the other day, especially when he called me at 4 o'clock this afternoon for baseball practice. He's like, Dad, I don't have my pants. I'm like, did we not have this discussion last night and you packed your stuff and you didn't put it in there? Anyway, it's minor, okay, minor. But, um, but in more serious things, I'm not going to get into them specifically tonight, but what's God's will when we mess up? When we make mistakes, does he just say, you're an idiot again? Is that the response? We may feel that way, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I certainly don't think that's what he wants. He's like, look, you might be here. You might have even taken four steps back from where you were, but I, I'm going to walk with you, okay? We're going to get better. We're going to walk this image out together. And lastly, his immediate will. What is his will in your life today, in this moment? If he's prepared works, as we read earlier in Ephesians, he's prepared works for you to walk through in advance before you ever were. He knew you'd be here. Strange to think. Mind-boggling, those of you that are physics majors or whatever, uh, you know, string theory and all these types of things and time travel and all that, however that just explodes your brain. The fact that God is presented as omnipresent and time does not capture Him, therefore, He knew you'd be here sitting in a chair tonight. Creepy. Crazy cool. Creepy. Mysterious. But good. But good. So what's His will for you 
right now. In your life, in your circumstance, right now. So these are things I want you to be thinking about as we go forward. We're going to, um, again, we're really going to get down into the practical stuff the next few weeks as we start to, to give you some tools in your toolbox to say, okay, how do I navigate this? What does it really look like? How do I make this decision about this issue, about this relationship, about this issue I struggle with, like I don't understand suffering? How can a good God allow suffering? Now, we're not necessarily going to sit here and answer every big apologetic question, but there are things that you're going to try and answer. What's God's will in this situation, in that situation, in my life? You know, why do some people have an incredible, insane amount of money and other people don't even have food to eat? Why is that? What's the will involved there? Anyway, we're going to be addressing those things over the next few weeks. Did we get any questions? Yeah, we have one question. Okay. Um, and that's, what's the difference between true surrender of your life to God and serving God on your own terms? And then how do you recognize this and change this? Ooh, man, good question. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. All right, read to me one more time because I'm going to repeat it back through the, the podcast too. Go ahead. What's the difference between... What's the difference between true surrender of your life to God... True surrender of your life to God... And serving Him on your own terms. And serving Him on your own terms. And how do you recognize this and change this? How do you recognize it and change it? Well, the back end of that supposes that you want to change it. Inherent in all these things we've already talked about and we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come is this. God protects your free will. Okay? Why? Um, again, Zacharias talks about it this way. Love is a supreme ethic. You can't love somebody unless you're free to choose them. Right? You can't love God unless you're free to choose Him. And so this presupposes, the question presupposes that you actually want to live in God's will to begin with. And I say that and I stress that because this... We may say that in one moment, and we may, again, totally deny it by tomorrow, by the way we live. And so it becomes, are you willing to commit yourself to that? And, and I think the reason why you would do that is you see the benefit of God's will and God's wisdom and God's discernment over your ability to carry those things out on your own. And I think that's where that really lies, is to say, all right, let's look at it this way. You've got a perfect being that the Bible says is the only good being. And when you think of good, think of like it's a perfection, right? Someone is good. If someone should, we, we use good like just throw it around. That was a good hamburger. That was a good game. You look good, right? We use it in a lot of ways. The English language is that way, but that's just we do. But when you think about something being good, it's always good. It never changes one moment to the next, right? It's just good and it always is good. That's God. So you've got him on the one side. It's like, am I going to choose him and follow what he wants for my life? Or I'm going to try my sense, of, my sense of good, my sense of wisdom, my sense of discernment. There's moments where we definitely choose our own. Oh, I got this. I got this figured out. Oh, yeah. You know, I hate to pick on my 16-year-old tonight, but he tells me that every day. I know, Dad. I got it, Dad. I know, Dad. I'm like, yeah. excuse me. I'm like spitting everywhere. <laughs> It's weird, but my mouth's getting dry at the same time I'm spitting everywhere. It's strange. Um, but um, the reality is he doesn't know. He has like negative wisdom to apply to his situation. I know, Dad. I got it figured out. Yeah, that's why my wife's running over there pants to you at like 4.15 in the afternoon. You're supposed to be on the baseball field. Instead, you're waiting in the locker room for a pair of pants. 
that you were supposed to put in your bag the night before. Um, our ability to consistently be wise and discerning and understand, gaining understanding and knowledge on our own, man, we're not good at it. That's the bottom line. Sometimes, right? Sometimes, sometimes not. But if I say a being in the universe that created me, that knows me through and through better than I know myself, who is also good through and through and never changes and is therefore trustworthy and all-wise and all-knowing because he sees all things past, present, and future, yeah, I think I can trust him with that. Now the question might be become whether you really believe he exists at all. Whether he actually intervenes in the lives of, of, of each of us. I'm going to tell you this. Come back on Wednesday. Go to life groups. You, here's my promise to you, and I mean this. This is another prophetic promise to you. And I don't usually say this, so it sounds, if you know me, this is, I'm getting out there on a limb. I get it. God is going to speak to you in ways about your life and about your relationship or even lack thereof with Him this semester that you have never encountered before. For those of us sitting in the room tonight and those that couldn't be here tonight that, that really genuinely question whether God not only exists but whether He actually cares and not only that He cares, that He actually does anything in our lives or cares about the little stuff that we deal with every day, you specifically, which is all of us, are going to encounter God this semester in a way you never have. That's my promise to you. If you're willing. Again, it's a free choice. You can say, yeah, I want that but I'm not willing to surrender to that. And so as we go through these next few weeks, it, there's going to be some real tough stuff you're going to wrestle with. Good stuff. Important stuff. And it's going to be specific to you, but you're going to make it specific to you. We're not going to sit here and call out your situations and your lifestyle. We're not going to do that. That's not, where, that's not our job. That's not what we're here for. Right? But God, I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit's going to do that for you. And he's going to get up in your business and you're going to think, whoa, this is an invasion of my space. You need to back off. But you know what's true about my 16-year-old son that I call Nodhead? Is it because I love him through and through and despite all his mistakes and the things that he thinks he knows that he doesn't know and all that crazy stuff, is I'm not going to back off. Why? Because I love him too much. I want things to go well for him. Same thing with God. He's not going to back off from your life. Why? Because He wants things to go well for you, believe it or not. And so if you make mistakes, His will is, let's one, not make those mistakes again, but two, let's move and change our lifestyle and our decision-making so that we don't repeat those things again and we move in a better direction that's beneficial to you. So I know that's a long-winded answer to that question and it's probably a little bit rambling. I apologize. But, um, but yeah, do you want Him? You've got to answer that question. Do you want God in your life? Do you want Him interfering? Ooh, I don't know. We're Americans. We just make our own way. We don't need help. Baloney. That's the theological term for that one. Baloney. We all need help. We all need help. One of the greatest things that's happened today in our culture, and I mean this sincerely, because it's affected many people I know, is that finally we're taking, the we're taking out of the shadows mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're saying it's okay to admit yep. that you need help. Yep. Mm -hmm. Let's go get help. And I think God looks at all of us that way, whether we have mental health issues or not, to say, 
it's okay to admit you need help. It's okay to admit that you can't make sense of it all. Let me give you wisdom. Let me give you discernment. And we're going to talk about exactly how that happens. Okay? I know I'm talking about it in big, woo, big picture, big mysterious things. But these next three weeks, we're going to talk about that in real life circumstances. And where does it come from? Where do you get this wisdom? How do you apply this discernment? What about this situation? What about that situation? You know, because it's all situational anymore. Yes and no. There are some absolute things. There is that light post that when you feel like everything's moving and you can't make sense of it, it's there for you to anchor yourself on. It's God himself. All right, let me pray with you. And we're going to turn you loose. I'm about three minutes past, four minutes past. We try to make sure if you need to go, you can go at 8.30, guys. We're not going to trap you in here. We do have the room for a while, so if you want to hang out and, and with somebody. And there's, there's a lot of brownies over there, by the way. You guys are disappointing in a lot of ways. I'm like, there's not even half of them gone yet. Eat the brownies. It's not nuts in there. There's car- uh, caramel, uh, what do you call it? It's not chocolate chips. Caramel chips inside the brownies. My wife made those. So please eat them. Otherwise, my children will eat them. Or worse, my dogs will eat them. And that would be, yeah. You know what happens. Yeah, never mind. Marissa has kept our dog at night when her stomach was not well. And uh, sorry about that. I apologize. Anyway, uh, let me pray with you. Lord, thank you. Um, we recognize fully tonight, Lord, we don't have life all figured out. But we do desperately need some sense of who we are, who you are, and not just the knowledge of it. Lord, we need you right now to come and intervene in our lives. Come and speak directly to our situations. I'm inviting you, Lord, come and speak to my questions and my doubts and my fears, even my biases and my prejudices about you. Break them down if necessary. But Lord, don't just leave me here. Don't leave us in the place that you found us. Guide us, direct us, help us to navigate the time we have here and help us to navigate it with the purpose and the identity that you stamped on every one of us, Lord. And when we mess up, Lord, we, I know it's your heart, but I pray that you'd pick us up, dust us off, and help us get back on our feet and on our way again according to your path, according to your purposes and your will for each of us. So, Lord, we, we lift up our lives to you, and, and we invite you in. As scary as that sounds, we give you permission to correct us, to rebuke us, but also to encourage us and guide us along everything that comes our way. That it will go well for us selfishly, Lord, but also that you will be seen and you will be known by the God that lives inside of each one of us, Christ's ambassadors. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. Be with everyone here, Lord. I pray uh, against... Uh, people getting sick with the flu, but I pray for healing for those that are already sick, Lord. Strengthen them emotionally. Bring clarity and order to their day and their life that things might go well. We love you, praise you, and we'll see you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.